0: This is the Fatherhood Unlocked podcast, and my name is Dan Doty. I'm a father of three, an outdoorsman, and a meditator, and supporting dads to be the best version of themselves is my highest calling. Fatherhood is the biggest rite of passage in a man's life. It's our biggest opportunity to grow up, to wake up, and to learn who we actually are. I believe that a father's love is the biggest missing vitamin on the planet. This podcast is intended to be a lightning rod to call men to action, to create community, and to set a new tone and standard for what fatherhood means. Welcome to Fatherhood Unlocked. Are you a nice guy? That's a valid question. How does that land? If you're not a guy, do you know any nice guys? How are they doing? How's it working out for them? Today's guest is Robert Glover. Dr. Robert Glover is a therapist, coach, speaker, and educator. He's a relationship expert, and he's been at this for more than 40 years. His seminal work is called No More Mr. Nice Guy. It is a book that I have recommended to countless hundreds, maybe even thousands of men in the past decade. I read it when I was 29, maybe, and I just reread it this last week. It was really impactful the first time, and it's impactful today as well. I'm really grateful and really enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Glover. The dude is seriously knowledgeable about the psychology and the well-being of men in general and how men interact and relate to their partners and to the world and to themselves. Nice guy syndrome, I'm going to try to boil it down very briefly here, and Dr. Glover will tell us far more about it. But nice guy syndrome is the belief that many men have for very valid reasons That they need to give in order to get. That's a very simplistic way to say it, but we all know the phrase nice guys finish last. And this conversation in Dr. Glover's work goes into this with a lot of depth and a lot of precision. I think Dr. Glover's work is basically necessary for men to read. I think this is something everybody should have an idea about, and I think it resonates for an immense amount of people. When you're in men's work circles, there's kind of three big books. There's, There's probably more, but there's three big books that you hear about all the time. One of them is this book, No More Mr. Nice Guy. The other ones are The Way of the Superior Man by David Data and Iron John by Robert Bly. I would think in the last 30 to 40 years, these are the perennial books that men who are on a, a quest of self-improvement and self-identity and self-discovery, these are table stakes reading. This is this is really important stuff. And out of those books, I think that Dr. Glover's is the most accessible and in some ways the most reachable from from the mainstream lens. In this conversation, we go all over the place. We talk about fatherhood. We talk about how to potentially not raise children who become nice guys and are hamstrung in life. We talk about how to be a dad if you have some of these tendencies to not have boundaries and to not be bold and not to have your own sort of life going on and only be living through others. We also get to hear a lot of really wonderful stories from Dr. Glover's life, raising basically three generations of kids of his own, which is really, really, really helpful and really meaningful. I'm really grateful to him to be on the show. And you can find all of Dr. Glover's work online at drglover.com. We're going to get right into this episode today. Here is the recording with Dr. Robert Glover. Uh, Dr. Robert Glover, thank you immensely for being on the show. It's a pleasure to have you here, man. Dan, thanks for the invitation. I, 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 I love talking about being a dad. Perfect, me too. Uh, first question, which has nothing to do with being a dad. How many po- podcasts do you think you've been on so far?
1: <laughs> I, I like it when I get asked a question that I've never been asked before. I, I don't believe anybody's ever asked me that. Um, I'd have to take a stab. You know, I I at times do four or five interviews a week. Um, yeah, not always, but I I go yeah. through. Yeah, I I could I probably yeah. schedule more than I do, but I've also have a policy. I never say no. To uh, an interview request, nice. Uh, even, even the guy saying, you know I'm, I'm just started a podcast in my mother's basement. I don't have any followers yet. I love your book. Can 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 I interview you?" I'm, "Sure, let's do it." You never know. Uh, or, you know where, yeah. where the, that might be yeah. the ne- next Tim Ferriss right there. Yeah. So, oh, let me just take a stab. Um, thousand, two thousand, maybe.
0: Yeah.
1: Just amazing. Just
0: a stab at it. I had a hunch. I had a hunch. You know. I mean, so just for context for the listeners, right? So. Uh, I first read your book, uh, No More Mister Nice Guy. I I was trying to come up with the exact date. I'm not very good with that in my own life, but probably 13 or 14 years ago, um, somewhere in that zone. And if if I believe right, uh, No More Mister Nice Guy was did it was it released in 2003? Is that accurate? Yeah, uh, you
1: know it, it it came out originally in, in an ebook format, but it got picked up by a publisher, uh, Barnes and Noble, at that time. Um, yeah, and they and they put it out in print early two thousand three. So we're we're sitting right on top of of the twentieth anniversary of No More Mister Nice Guy.
0: That's incredible. And you know, this is the first time we've ever spoken, and so I'm familiar with your work. And you know, I've spent uh, a good majority of my adult life, my professional life, with men, working with men. Um, and you know, I've probably recommended your book to God. I don't I don't even know. You know, through newsletters and through digital means, you know, thousands and thousands. Of of yeah. men and um, you know you're
1: making you're making all my card payments I appreciate that
0: yeah <laughs> yeah well I guess just just to set this up right and, and uh, you tell me if I'm way off base here but that book has it's just been a, a phenom in a sense it has hit such a note uh, and part of what we'll get into later is I'm just curious so much about how it fits with fatherhood and how how it's tracked over time and we'll, we'll get into all the all the you know the the unique questions that I've come up with here but. I I just want to say up front that you know I read it 14 years ago I'm reading it right now I think I got through like 60% of it in preparation for this for, for our talk today and it it just lands man it still lands it it just it hits it still hits and uh you know from a distance it it looks like that piece of work that you created has had a very very long and vibrant life and still seems to be just like cranking is am i am i seeing
1: that right yeah you're seeing it right you know um it took me about six seven years to write it because i i didn't set out to write a book i i just had started working on what i came to call my own nice guy issues of you know being a passively pleasing conflict avoidant you know um passive aggressive indirect non-boundary kind of guy and thinking why wouldn't everybody love me And um, I started working on that on myself and I was a therapist. And so uh, as I started getting awareness about my nice guy behavior, I started noticing a lot of the guys, especially coming to me for couples therapy, because my doctorates in marriage and family therapy. So they're coming for couple therapy, wives, girlfriends, and they would start, uh, they say, I'm a nice guy. I'm one of the nicest people you ever meet. I treat her better than her ex. I'm raising her kids. I try to do everything to make her happy. I buy her everything she wants is never good enough. She's never happy. When's it going to be my turn? She never wants to have sex anymore. And I'm going, Hey, I, I, I can finish your sentences. (laughs) Then there was the the single guys that would, you know, I I, took me a little bit longer to figure out the connection between them, but the single guys, because I was in a relationship. So I wasn't quite as at that time attuned to to single life. I did many years later and have written a couple of books on dating as well. So the single guys were saying, you know, all the women, I have lots of female friends. They all tell me I'm great. I'm amazing. Some woman is going to be so lucky to have me as a boyfriend someday, but they don't want me. You know, if I'm so amazing, (laughs) how come none of, I always end up in the friend zone. You know, that's probably before the term friend zone was all that popular, but kind of that sentence. And so I started thinking, all right, we're all following a similar paradigm that Mm -hmm. if I sacrifice my needs and wants, if I'm generous and giving and conflict avoidant and, um, you know, just, do whatever i can to make other people happy uh they'll like me love me and i'll get my needs met and you know that so that i started a no more mr nice guy group every other wednesday i started just writing kind of chapters or now we might just call them blogs i mean this is 30 years ago you know i just started writing and it kind of started kind of material i was just writing what i was discovering about me about nice guys where it came from what doesn't work what works better And, you know, these guys and often their wives and girlfriends kept saying, you know, Robert, you should write a book. There's a lot of people out there that need it. You should go on Oprah. This could be a bestseller. Um, Never made it on Oprah, but after about six, seven years of writing, kind of got got it finally finalized to what it looks like now. If I'd published everything I'd written, it'd be that thick. You know, it's only about this thick. Then it took three years to get it published. Uh, I found an agent uh, who was a very experienced New York agent, Um, you know, 20, 20 something years later. And, you know, he's still my agent mm. um he liked the book and so he was shopping it to big publishing companies and so many editors many female said robert i like your book it's a good book. It's well written yeah. but there's always a but they all had the same but <laughs> our marketing department says men won't buy a self-help book yep and i go well, how yep. do they know that if you don't publish self-help books for men i go you don't <laughs> know the men i'm working with these yep. guys will buy the books they want to be better and um and that this was pre-amazon um and so you know nowadays a guy hears a podcast this is pre-podcast right yeah. now a guy hears a podcast or you know goes on youtube and here's a link guys go on amazon and buy that book and then amazon said people bought this book bought this book so they buy that book men buy books you probably you know buy totally. a lot of books uh, i buy books i don't read them all but i buy a lot of them <laughs> so anyway um took about three years to get it published. As I said, came out in print in uh, early 2003. 20 years later, uh, my royalty checks keep getting bigger every year. Um, awesome. awesome. Sales is translated in many languages. I was in Germany uh, four weeks ago. I got invited over there to speak at a men's conference of 300 guys. And guys were coming yeah. up with my book in Polish and German, wanting a signature. And I didn't realize this, but I, I guess I'm kind of a rock star. Over in Europe, yeah, uh, I cool. they, they, kind of, they kind of told me that once I got there. After my talk, I was the keynote speaker. I got like a three, four-minute standing ovation from all these German European guys, and I got "Wow, I, I can die complete now." I mean, I thought I, that, and that wow. actually, as as a recovering nice guy, that was hard to just stay up there and just receive it. I wanted to sure. walk off the stage, get the attention
0: sure. on some. I thought,
1: Robert, breathe. This is this is thirty years worth of work
0: right here. Yeah, you know, breathe. Let so it you in. not only yeah, you not only named, but you provided and continue to provide a, a a solve, an answer, a path forward for something that that not only seems to be multi generational but global, right? Like you yeah. really you really pegged something. So can you give us like the 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 quick and dirty sort of whole rather than me try to butcher it just the the nice guy and the toward the integrated male g- yeah. give us like we'll, the short we'll, okay, I'll give words. you the
1: elevator elevator pitch yeah. that, that I yeah. give on every interview yeah. um so robert what is the nice guy center okay yeah. so here's just the the briefest uh, and and by the way this applies to women as well um i had much, that question i'm glad you said yeah, that i, I would that say I would, I would say 85% of no more mr nice guy ab- applies to women Because, Mm -hmm. you know, and basically nice guy syndrome is codependency, is is giving to get. And borrowed functioning is another term for codependency. I only exist when I function in the context of another person, right? Yeah. So women had been identified as codependent for years. And when I wrote No More Mr. Nice Guy, I intentionally did not use the word codependent. You won't find it in the book. But that is what I'm describing. Because up till that time, the only ways codependency was used was either like with spouses or family members of addicts and mm-hmm. or women who you know women who love too much kind of thing Got and it. and so i wanted to write no more mr nice because nobody would written to um to men about this dynamic of, of giving to get covert contracts as i call them external validation conflict avoidance lack of boundaries um, there wasn't anything out there at that time, so I wanted to write something that people didn't go, "Oh, he's just talking about codependency." I, I wanted, yeah. I wanted to get their attention yeah. and and give them a unique. And, and a lot of times, people say, "Is that codependency you're talking about?" So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So a nice guy, and and you know, for women listening, just you can fill in nice girl in this, or you might be thinking about somebody you know. By the way, just like in the last week, I think I've gotten like three emails, two from women therapists. You know, saying they give their their book to a lot of their clients because in the past, women therapists, nice guys would come in. They didn't know what to do with them. Yeah. This guy's a nice yeah. guy. You know, yeah. what's, what's yeah. his problem? You know, and, <laughs> yeah. and so women women therapists like it. Um, uh, another woman wrote me this last week, and another therapist said, "Could you write a book for partners of nice guys?" Mm. And, and you know, yeah. so anyway. A nice guy is somebody who's inaccurately internalized an emotional belief that they're not okay just as they are. Right? Yep. And this happens early in life, in infancy, our first few weeks, first few years of life, every chi- every time a child experiences an uncomfortable sensation, they're hungry and don't get fed, they're cold and don't get wrapped up, they're dirty and don't get changed parents fight, they get abused. It's trauma to a child. All of us experience trauma. Every time we have an uncomfortable sensation, being very narcissistic and having a very immature brain, the Mm -hmm. the male prefrontal cortex does not develop till we're about 25. That's why our car insurance rates go down. We quit doing such stupid stuff. So we're we're more, more insurable. But our, the part of our brain, the, the amygdala, the survival part, the fight, flight, freeze part is fully online. It governs respiration, heartbeat, and that part of the brain, theorized, absorbs emotional memory. That mm. becomes our operating system. Uh, used to be, for, for geeks, it used to be what we called the DOS. You know, yep. uh, uh, It's the machine yep. language that all the apps run on top of. The apps are just how we function in life. But our emotional belief about self and the world gets inaccurately internalized at a young age. We believe we're the cause of every uncomfortable experience we have. Mm -hmm. So all children try to do two things at a pre-verbal level. We we don't think this out. We feel it out like like an animal. One is we try to soothe or medicate the uncomfortable feeling we're having. We might cry. We might stick a thumb in our mouth. I sucked my thumb until I was five years old. think I might've Mm -hmm. been medicating something. Mm -hmm. Uh, We eat we sleep, we try to smile, we will become oppositionally defiant. These are not rational, thought-out responses. They're very primitive responses that an infant, young child will develop. So that's response number one. How do I escape the uncomfortable feelings? Response number two is how do I prevent these uncomfortable feelings from happening again? Hmm. Everybody does this in life. But there are different paradigms that we develop how to do that, often based on just our own natural temperament, our, our, the, the, just the family experience we're in, our birth order. It could be a, you know, a lot of things that influence how, as a very primitive, uh, pre, pre-verbal, pre-thinking state, how do we deal with this stuff? Now then, so we carry the, that, and that's where neuroses comes from. That's what neurosis right. is, okay. is, is what we internalized about ourselves in the world and how we try to manage, you know, mm-hmm. uncomfortable things. We take those emotional neuroses operating language, and then as we get older, more information gets filtered through that emotional operating system about our lovableness. The, the technical term is toxic shame. I'm not yeah. good enough. There's something wrong with me. We try to manage those uncomfortable feelings. And again, yeah. some people become nice guys, nice girls. Some people become overachievers. Some become underachievers. Some become oppositionally defiant. Some become perfectionist. There's many ways to try to deal with this. And when, when we hit adolescence and we're going through a lot of developmental stages, a lot of hormones, we try a lot of different things on for how to how to fit into the world, how to, how to yeah. be loved, like, get our needs met. And then as we come out of adolescence into early adulthood, that is pretty now solidified. So, you know, by, by the time, you know, so let's say a man hits 19, 20, 23 years old. Yeah. Those nice guy patterns are solid. It's how we yeah. view self world. Here's how I have to show up to be liked, loved, get my needs met, and try to control my world in a way that it feels predictable to me. Now, yeah. we're all doing that one way or another. Nice guys just have their own unique way of doing that. So that's what we're doing then is we're walking the planet using, like I said, our covert contracts, the giving to get, the hiding and repressing of our needs and wants, the avoidance of conflict, the generosity, the approval Mm -hmm. seeking, the being smart enough, good looking enough, generous enough, funny enough, whatever that will get those core basic uh, human needs met, being liked, loved, having a predictable life and getting our needs met. So fair to say and we don't know we don't know we're doing it. We we just we think this all makes a hundred percent logical sense.
0: Yeah. So I I was just gonna kind of fair to say to give to sort of grant, you know, nobody fucked up by you know the fact that they're a nice guy. It just it's just is yeah. We
1: we all we all cope with the best tools we have. And when we're two weeks old, two months old, two years old, we don't have very effective tools, they're very primitive. The problem is those very ineffective primitive tools become the foundation of how we try to cope as we come into adulthood. But we don't, we don't know that. We don't get it. And add to that, most nice guys I've worked with, especially, you know, what I'll call the, I'm so good, nice guys, their natural temperament just is to be fairly easygoing and not, you know, my, my, my mother used to tell women I dated, Bobby never did like conflict. And I'm going, who the fuck likes conflict? You know, (laughs) why would you like conflict? But, I tend to be attracted to women who like conflict. Yeah. My, I tell my wife all the time, you love to fight. And and she kind of does. She kind of likes to, you know, have, have a good row. Um, yeah. and you know, I'm just going, you know, can, can we just skip the whole fighting thing? just accuse me of something I haven't done. If I, I can just start yelling at you and calling you names for that. Why don't we just skip the whole conflict part? It goes straight to the, the outcome. She goes, no, that's not as much fun. Like, okay. Yeah. All right, let's fight. Um, <laughs> so, but that's my temperament i don't like fighting i don't like conflict i'm generous by nature i'm giving by nature i'm pretty easygoing i don't know why everybody tells me i'm controlling because i think i'm pretty easygoing you know i'm not controlling i just know what i like you know um so a lot of that's natural temperament so no nobody fucked up we're born with the temperament you know we're, we're talking about fatherhood and dads and anybody listening to this has had more than one kid knows they all pop out with their own temperament. They're, they're yeah, they're, oh, yeah. You know, totally same same gene pool, completely yeah. different combination of genes and totally different temperament. I raised my, my my stepson in my second marriage tended to be really oppositionally defiant. So my my biological son for my first marriage, I've never really had to punish him. Never gave him a spanking in my life. Now, my second son, was oppositionally defiant, never spanked him either. But what I realized, to really get his attention, rather than trying putting him in timeout, he's just going to his room and throw the ball against the wall, you know. Yeah. But I took, if I could take him, and if I just held him in my lap, in my rocker recliner, just held him, rocked, soothed him, got his nervous yeah. system down, down, you know, uh, escalated, soothed him. And then I talked to him about what, what he'd been doing. And I talked him about how that doesn't work and how we could do it different, but I I'd, ha- I'd have to sue them first, Yeah. putting him in timeout, restricting yeah. him, taking away privileges. It would just amp up his behavior. Yeah. That was his nervous system, right? That's just how he came into the world. So we are the way we are, not because anybody fucked up, not because we're fucked up. We are like everybody else. Just trying to make our way through the world, get our needs met, get love, try to have a smooth life, uh, try to not, you know, be stressed about money all the time. You know, we're just we're all just basically doing the same things, just in different ways.
0: Yeah. So, I'm just going to throw out I have two big questions, right? I'm just going to put them on the table now, and you can you can attack them how you want. But, two scenarios one is dad's fathers, and you know, a lot of the men in my community um they see fatherhood as like the biggest thing in their life the most important thing right and part of what we're doing is just you know trying to create community and education to to you know put our put our money where our mouth is on that like if it is the most important thing yeah. let's let's lean into it right and so um so for dads who could identify as nice guys right I'm, i i want to talk about that yeah and then maybe even more importantly I, you know, this, um, the the phrase that strikes me so deeply is just that, you know, these things happen because we feel we're not okay, just as we are, right? Right. That's, that's so core. And, you know, I have a seven year old, a four year old and a one year old right now and and doing my best to be intentional about this job. But for me and other dads, I, I think the big question on my mind is like, what wisdom can you share with us to, to do our best, right? Not, not to do a perfect job, not to, not to nail this, like in every way, but how might we um, provide the best we can so that our, I mean, in this case, boys or girls, right? Our children um, may not have to wiggle themselves out of these binds later on. Interrupting this conversation for just a little bit to tell you about Father's Fire. Father's Fire is an online men's group for dads. We have launched just in this last month and we have a growing program uh, of a really bunch of committed dads who are like-minded, like-hearted, and are on track to just continually step up and step in as a dad and take ownership and take leadership, do the inner work and do the outer work to do the best that they can. The intention here is large-scale impact for the dads involved, for their families, for their partners, for their children, and for future generations. This offering is action-oriented and we do the healing work needed to take action in our lives. If you're interested, we have a wait list up. Check it out at DanDoty.com.
1: My training is in marriage and family therapy. So when I was in mm-hmm. private practice for 25 years, I mainly worked with couples and families. And I, I, I basically told every parent that came in with, chi- you know, with a child, with child issues, is I'd say, you know, you're gonna fuck your kids up. Yeah. That's okay. We're, we're, we're not perfect. We didn't have perfect parents uh, we're going to mess our kids up. And, and I'd say, that's not really the issue. The issue is how you recover from that. Mm-hmm. Because I I've, I've like, I've worked with people that were like in their sixties or seventies who still had issues from childhood with their, like their mother. Yeah. And, and that's why everybody goes to therapy. They got mother issues. Um, and I, I would ask like a 60 year old woman who had like an 80 year old mother that still was critical and controlling. And I I've asked people I said. If your mother came to you and said, I owe you an apology. I'm sorry. I wasn't the best mom. I was controlling. I didn't love you in the ways you wanted to be loved. I could have done better. I said, how would that land? And they, they always would start crying. They go, mm. I, I'd so love that. So mm. it's not so much the mistakes we make is how we yeah. recover from them. I, I I sent my my son. I've got a um, my son will be 38. My biological son will be 38 um next month and i, I was at uh, a men's retreat uh about three weeks ago and we did some dad work and it was really powerful my father's dead he, he passed away about 12 years ago and i was really at peace with him i didn't talk to him for 15 years as an adult but i'd already really mended those fences and was at peace when he had a stroke and died yeah um he wasn't perfect but i i'm grateful for many gifts he gave me and so we were doing this dad work and so he said you know reach out to your fathers well you know i, I just sent up some gratitude to my father and um and i just sent a message to my son tell him how proud i am of him i've got a 16 year old granddaughter he's the custodial parent he is such a good dad i just went camping with him and my granddaughter last week such a joy to be around both of them and i i'd send this message i says you know i'm i just so respect you know how you are as a dad uh, I'm, I'm proud of you. And I said, I know I was far from perfect. And I said, if at any time you ever have anything you want to bring up or dive in or talk about, you know, I'm open to it. And he wrote back and said, thanks for that. I appreciate that. He says, yeah, a lot of times I don't think I'm doing well enough, but I appreciate, you know, And he goes, yeah, yeah, I appreciate your offering to And, you know, whether or not it ever brings anything up, the door's open. So again, yeah. I I was far from perfect. and uh, And I know that. And, he, and hes a, he's a much better dad than I ever was. Um, but the door's open that he and I can and we've, we've had conversations about yeah. you know, about childhood stuff, because I, I, I left his mother when he was two, and um, when he, when he now complains about his mother, I, I just go. I hear you. I understand. everything you're saying, those are the reasons why I couldn't be married to her. I, so I understand why it's hard. you know, I know you love her, but I know those things make her a difficult person um but but really i like you say about how can we do just do better uh, you know i've i've got a wristband on that actually just says do better and nice. um you know you and i were talking for the call started I'm, I'm launching a men's community uh next week and it's just the, our theme is good men doing better and the mm. core theme is we don't have to be better people we don't have to be different people we're we're fine we're perfect we're perfectly lovable just as we said and to be our best selves and live our best lives and be our best dads and be our best in relationship every day we can do better i've been wearing this a little over a month maybe maybe two months now yeah. i've seen my marriage improve since i started wearing this wristband of just nice. being be more conscious how could i be more patient how could i be a better listener how could i have how can i be less reactive how can i have better boundaries how can i give more love to my wife in the way that she feels love um it's maybe a better husband just by wearing a wristband that says do better. So what I'd say to the, to the dads out there, if they're listening to this, they're probably already trying to do yeah, better. Yeah, totally. Trying, right? Already trying to yeah. do better. And so they don't have to be a perfect dad. Because here's one thing I tell all all men, because pretty much every man does have dad issues. One way or another. And I'll just kind of throw this little piece out kind of as a sidelight. Then we'll come back to to, to the imperfect father thing. When I first started listening to nice guys 30 years ago and looking at my own nice guy stuff and looking at my dad, the majority of the men I I talked to described their fathers as being distant, unavailable, angry, addicted, absent. And and so they never felt safe bonding and connecting. The dad that wasn't there either worked all the time or had left the family or if he was there, Maybe he was angry, moody, critical. My dad was, was, could be pretty critical, pretty moody. Maybe they were addictive, um, uh, abusive. So most men 30 years ago reported the kind of absent, angry, unavailable, not safe father. Yep. Now, as I listen to men talk, you know, maybe more like my son's generation, you know, he's 38, maybe guys, uh, I would say over half of the men I talk to nowadays about their fathers describe their fathers as being nice guys right? Yeah. My, my generation, yeah. right? Yeah. Maybe your generation. Yeah. They'd say, yeah, my dad's a nice guy. Our number one rule of the house was don't piss your mother off. Mm-hmm. You know, he was doing his best, you know, to not deal with a pissed off wife. And, you know, and if we pissed mom off, he got mad because now his life, you know, got. So, yeah. so that's a, a big shift uh, that, that I've seen is a lot more men report dad being around being involved, but being also this passively pleasing, nice guy that was trying to please his wife, who couldn't be pleased, and the child is trying to figure out how to please their unpleasable mother as well. And so it's, it's, I've seen that shift, and it still creates nice guys.
0: Um, Interesting. He, yeah, well, let's, let's hold on. Now. Let's follow that for a second, because that was that was one of the curiosities I had coming in was, you know, so I'm I'm 41. So I'm just a little bit older than, than your son. and And, you know, I've been talking to and working with tons of dads, the last three years specifically. And, and there, there's a definite pattern that actually kind of um, elucidates it a little bit for me to to think about that, to think of like a, a generation, maybe boomers or something where, where there was, you know, a layer of niceness that, that were brought into dads, because one of the things I think it's, it's been spoken maybe a little more sharply or harshly, um, but so many, you know, men in, in the circles that I, that I run have, have like a, a frustration or anger that yeah that their dad didn't stand up more or didn't yeah you know take take the reins or you know and and there's a lot there's a a lot of the men are are sort of there's some anger about like so here i am now having to basically be the chain breaker and do all of this family healing and so obviously that's not the only thing that's being said but that there's definitely a a, a pattern there yeah I'm curious. there's a pattern
1: so let's let's, let's talk yeah. all about that let's talk about yeah. dad's let's talk about yeah. generational uh uh parenting. Yeah, please yeah. excuse me uh, i i remember when my stepson my, my stepson from my second marriage and my biological son were about six months apart so they grew up together were best friends and um and just i i, I loved i loved being a dad raising the, those two boys and um i remember one time um i i was i think i was already writing no more mr nice guy maybe close to finishing and my stepson probably about 15 14 15 I already knew the language around nice guy because you know, the conversations, you know, they were coming, Dad. I got buddies that need your book. Finish your book, Dad. <laughs> you know, can we give my a hat? You know. Um, and, and and I remember one time my my ex-wife was, I think she was going off on me because like I hadn't left my shoes by the front door exactly how mm-hmm. she wanted them. Something like that. And she was just going off on me. And I remember my son kind of looking up, going, You gonna let her talk to you like that, Pops. I thought. <laughs> no that's not a good role <laughs> model for him i looked at her and i said was there anything else you wanted she goes put your shoes by the door i said i'll be happy to but you don't get to talk to me that way yeah. and that was such a good and she did she you know then, then it, all she really wanted me put my shoes over there but let's do that different right yeah. and so i know that you know, my son was saying are you gonna let her talk to you like that pops yeah. i thought he yeah. needs to see me it, it, you know stand up so So let's talk a little bit about about dads, our dads, because I think one of the things I used to tell parents when I I was doing parent, you know, uh, family therapy, is that most people tend to parent one of two ways. One is exactly the way their parents parented, consciously or unconsciously, or the exact opposite of how their parents parented. Maybe their parents were controlling and demanding and, you know, religious and overbearing. And so now we're going to be open and let our kids, you know, swear and have sex and we'll go the other way. And as they say in 12-step programs, the opposite of crazy is still crazy. You know, if we're basing how we do something by just doing it 180 degrees different from some other toxic way of doing it, we don't still have a very good standard. Now, it's funny. I, I was doing some writing a few months ago and I thought, well, I've, I've used that term a lot. You know, the opposite of crazy is still crazy. People have a hard time kind of understanding what it means. Yeah. And, I thought, and, I, and I was writing and I wanted to give reference to, you know, where I, I got it from 12-step programs. So I Googled who said the opposite of who wrote the opposite of crazy is crazy. And it came up and said, Dr. Robert Glover, the author of No More Mr. Nice oh, Guy no, says, I, I get to reference <laughs> me. I didn't make that up. But so it's funny how the internet works that way. Yeah. Um, so just parenting exactly the way our dad parented or parenting the exact opposite may not be what our kids most need. Because we've already talked about it. every kid needs something different. Scott Peck writes about that in his book, The Road Less Traveled. Great book. Highly recommend it. First section is okay. about love and about parenting. It, it is the all-time best-selling self-help book, self-improvement book.
0: Okay. A, a really
1: deep book. But, but he talks about for children to internalize that emotional belief that they're valuable and loved, their needs are important, and the world is like my family. We basically have to, the parents have to be filling their own bucket up in sufficient ways. Mm -hmm. Most of us try to parent from an empty bucket. That doesn't work well. Um, We have to be filling our own bucket up, be attentive to each child's needs and every child may have different needs and then give to them, Peck said in timely and judicious ways. And I (laughs) add to that consistent because I think that I've, I've, I've actually worked with adults who had terrible childhoods. My granddaughter has a terrible mother. She asked Mm -hmm. me, you know, five, six years ago, how come I'm the only kid in my school with a crazy mom? You know, she Mm -hmm. knows her mother is Mm -hmm. terrible. She is, she's batshit crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. And my my granddaughter is really well adjusted because she knows mom's crazy. That's not me. Mm -hmm. Mom is consistently crazy. What happens, a lot of people that grow up in relatively good families, but had inconsistent, you know, mom would have her bouts of depression. Or Got dad it. would, you know, be angrier, unavailable. It, that inconsistency really messes with a child's identity mm. and their predictability of, of in life. Okay. So I, I I recommend Scott Peck, you know, to, cool. to all, yeah. all all parents yeah. and all dads. So well, but what I tell men about dads. Our ancestors were not raised by one or two right. young, immature. Low functioning adults. Our ancestors were raised by a tribe. Uh, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton, who I'm not a fan of, but wrote a book, It Takes a Tribe, about, and parenting does take a tribe. Mm-hmm. Our ancestors, if we go back about um, 10,000 plus years ago, when we, before we became more of an agrarian society, go back to hunter gatherer, tribal, you know, roaming around society. The boys kind of stayed in the tribe to about five, six, seven years old. As they reach adolescent puberty, there's always a rite of passage. The men of the tribe came and took the boy. Robert Bly writes about this. Took the boy off to do the rite of passage. Maybe it was tying him down to an anthill or, you know, all night long. Maybe he was doing, you know, a sun dance. Maybe he was jumping out of a tree. Bungee jumping with a vine before we had bungee cords, you know. It was something, you know, in in 300, the movie, you know, the boy goes out and just has a spear and has to defend himself against a wild animal. And the boys that survived became warriors. The ones that didn't, you see their bones end up in the bone pile. So our ancestors were initiated into the scary world of the masculine. It's dangerous out there by other masterful men who themselves had been initiated. So every boy had a tribe of masterful men raising them. Now, maybe we have an absent dad, a distant dad. We don't even have uncles and grandfathers around in an extended family. anymore. Many of us are raised by our mothers who, you know, maybe with best of intentions and maybe they're great moms. I say no more, Mr. Nice Guy. A woman can't be the substitute for a man. And, you know, I've, I've not gotten many angry letters about my book. But the most angry letters I've ever gotten were from guys that said, how dare you say my mother wasn't the perfect mother? My dad was an asshole and she was great. And and I go, okay, okay. (laughs) I just made a statement that, you know, moms can't be the dad. So here's the thing. Everybody's dad was inadequate. No matter how good of a dad they were, they were still inadequate. You could grow up. Dad might've been great at being involved with you, going to your scout meetings with you, coaching your teams with you. Um, but maybe he didn't teach you to work on cars. Yeah. Maybe he didn't teach you how to handle money. Maybe he didn't teach you uh, how to get laid. You know. Maybe he didn't have a sex talk with you. He will have failed you in some significant way. And that's true for everybody because one yeah. man cannot parent a child adequately. Yeah every child is going to get inadequate parenting, inadequate father. Now, when you talk about, you know, kind of breaking the cycle, the Buddhists talk about each individual is dealing with a karma of seven generations back and seven generations forward. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I don't, describe myself as Buddhist, but i like you know a lot of of some of the core teachings and i I like that teaching i I don't know if i believe in karma or not i think the older i get the kind of more i kind of do Mm -hmm. um but what if we thought of the idea as dads not that we got to be perfect dads but what if we're in the process of healing all the father wounds going back seven generations yeah and what if we're also healing for all the seven generations that come after us not because we're going to be perfect dads, but we're we're doing just a few little things different and better than what we experienced and what our father experienced and what our grandfather experienced. But I tell you what, when I started listening to guys talk about what they know of their fathers and grandfathers, almost by the time you get back to grandfathers, almost every one of them was abused, had an abusive father, uh, grand- their father's great-grandfather, addictive, many lost fathers in wars. You know, millions of people, millions yeah. of dads died in World War I and World War II, right? Millions yeah. of boys were left without fathers. And that, that's that been what's been passed on to us today, is yeah. if we just go back three generations, almost every man grew up without a father, because dad was dead, for yeah. one way or another, or an, a controlling, abusive father, or an alcoholic father.
0: Well, it's easy to to plot that backward, too, with all the other yeah. wars, right? I mean, that wasn't yeah. the first time that war happened. You know, the the hunter-gatherer thing makes complete sense to me. My entire orientation to this world of, of masculinity came, uh, I, I started my career as a, a wilderness therapy guide and, and worked with groups of young men yeah. in the wilderness. right? like our four and brothers. I, and you mentioned that... Um, you know, when you first were marketing your book, I I almost sold a book at a very young age, twenty seven or twenty eight, about young men and masculinity, and I got the same feedback, right? It was like, you know, dudes aren't gonna buy this. And that's a quick aside, but what 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 two things stuck out? One is what I knew at a very young age is that we needed a ton of mentors. We needed a ton of people in our life to balance out. I got lucky. I had a you know. Taekwondo instructor and a boss on a pig farm and an anthropology professor, like I I stumbled into a, a nice, you yeah. know, full, full set of mentorship. And, 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 th- and a
1: lot of men do, fortunately, a lot of men, I, yeah. I call that the saving yeah. grace for having lack of okay. perfect fathers. A lot of men, you know, football coach, maybe somebody in the military, maybe a professor, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 a lot of men do fall into some good man that becomes part of a committee, a team that, yeah. that, that, that yeah. makes up for the, our deficiencies of our dad. So that's, that's
0: beautiful. The, the other quick uh, historical note. So, uh, you know, I was reading your book this week and last weekend I was in Vermont with my, with my family and my wife's parents <clears throat> have a, have a little farm like a rescue farm and right amidst, right amidst uh, a, a large Amish community. And so we, we, we got to meet and hang out with uh, like a couple Amish families. And and cool. so a note from your book noticing that, um, in the agrarian times, right. So pre 10,000, you know, BC or whatever was, was the hunter gatherer. And then, you know, farms dominated and watching the families, um, and the stories that they would tell these, you know, Amish men out in the laboring in all different ways. There are boys from, I don't know, three, four years old are by their side all day long. And it was just this moment. I was reading your book and seeing this happen in front of me. I'm like, oh. Oh. That's way different, you know. That is so yeah. different than the industrialized or technologized technology world we that, live yeah, in, right? That, it's, that. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. So that, that was that was a cool beautiful. moment. And, and, and yeah.
1: boys, boys need that. And that's when I go back and say, for example, a mother can't be the father. Um, she just can't. She can't yeah. give the boy that experience. They have a different view of the world, and they're they're not going to have you know take your son to work day and you know, and and you know the the boys just need the, the different i just quick little example when my boys my son and stepson hit adolescence you know they 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 they, they listened to pretty offensive rap music and sag their pants down and their boxer shorts and they were spitting and and you know and and my 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 ex-wife the, the stepmom uh she you know i have the music and she just go on off on it. And I had to give them, you know, my job was not to say, don't listen to that music. Don't, you know, don't sad your pants, don't spit. I had to teach them is how to do all of those things in a more conscious, less offensive ways to other people. How yeah. could they listen to the music? I'd talk to them. What do you like about the music? What's, what are they saying in there? And we would actually have conversations, you know, about, about the music. Now I go back and I, I listen to, you know, some Snoop Dogg and, you know, something I that go, that's actually pretty good music. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, and then like the spitting, I'd say it's okay to spit, but you don't spit on the sidewalk. <laughs> spit over over there on the lawn and you don't spit when you're talking to somebody, you know, and, and, and you know, and we would have conversations about it. Even around, around sexual stuff. My My boys grew up during the, you know, the boom of the internet, you know, our, our first mm-hmm. home computer, basically, once, once we got internet connection, basically was used for stealing music on Napster and looking at porn, you know, Yeah, so, oh, home yeah. computers are great, you know, because I had two, 14 uh, year old boys in the house, we tried everything to, you know, you know, put the computer out there in the middle of the house where, you know, they are looking at <laughs> porn, whatever. And the only thing, believe it or not, we we lived like a lot of live fam, we lived for when we got broadband, right? And could get uh-huh. off dial up. Dial up was uh-huh. so slow. We had broadband for about a year and the we couldn't get the voice off the computer. <laughs> yeah. We actually went back to dial up connection. Because you know, like for <laughs> boys looking at porn, you know, it's coming sad. up one yeah, line do. at a time. You remember, I remember. that? I, so sure I, I I think that's a booby. I think it's a booby. <laughs> oh no, it's just an elbow. <laughs> you know, you know, one line at a time. Porn is boring when it when it loads one line uh-huh. at a time. So those are the things we grew up, I had to deal with no other generation had dealt with 24 seven access to pornographic images. So my my wife found some videos in my stepson's drawer and she came to me and said, I can't believe he's looking at this stuff. And I go. He's 15 years old, he's 16, Uh, you know, that's that's the only thing he's interested in. And I said, "Okay, here on out, you leave it alone. You don't have conversations about this stuff. In fact, at about fourteen, fifteen, she and I, and we actually, you know, for, for whatever other issues my ex-wife and I had, we parented pretty well together. I'm really grateful mm-hmm. for that. And at about 14, 15, I said, you don't parent anymore. You don't discipline anymore. That's what I said. I said, from here on out, you just be a lap. You, You know, if he needs to come and get some connection and get some love from his mother, that's your job. No more discipline. I will handle all discipline from here on out. Kind of the masculine initiation. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, I've, I've raised four step kids, including my son, five kids. They all preferred I discipline them, not their mothers. Their yeah. mother's form of discipline always involved a lot of words, often a lot of yelling, a lot of shaming, a lot of scolding. My discipline is, listen, we're not going to do it that way. Here's how we're going to do it. Understood? Well, no, no, no. this isn't a discussion understood this is how we do it understood they they prefer that discipline over mom yeah any day so i i i i i've told all my wives <laughs> my all my multiple wives at certain age i'm the disciplinarian. Yeah. you you just be the lover you love all yeah. them when they need it and the, the kids appreciate that And 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 i could give them that structure so i told my son i said okay We know you have these videos in your drawer. I've told your mother, she doesn't get to look in your drawers anymore. She's out of the picture. I will check every now and then. I said, Mm -hmm. it's your stuff. I said, if there's something there I think is inappropriate for your age, I will tell you about it. I'll talk to you about it. I will take it, but I'll let you know I'm taking it. But it's not because you're bad or doing anything wrong. It's just, you know, way way too too graduate level from from your your age and your development. And so- that's the kind of structure and discipline a boy needs and primarily needs from his father.
0: So, let me ask you if you had not healed or worked with your nice guy tendencies, could you have held those boundaries? No,
1: no, yeah. I didn't have boundaries, I didn't know. You know, yeah. I, I got a PhD in marriage and family therapy at 29 years old. All right, I I'd nev- I'd never heard of boundaries till I was in my mid 30s in my second marriage and already had the PhD, I went to, I got into therapy, and I started working with a new therapist, very first session with this woman therapist, she said, let's talk about boundaries, and she got a string out, put it on the floor, did a little interactive exercise with me, it used that to illustrate personal boundaries, how it's our responsibility to be clear, to identify them, to let people know who gets to come in, what they get to do, how long they get to stay, when it's time to leave, you know, and, and that it's our, our responsibility for, you know, enforcing them, that was all new language. Yeah. I, I, I'm going, how come nobody taught me this? And I, I, I could do a whole, you know, a ramble about why none of us have boundaries. Um, but ba- basically, because when we're small, the big people get to do whatever they want and the little people right. have to put up with it. And then little right. people grow up to be big people. And nobody ever says you're a big person. Now you can say, no, you don't have to let people treat you bad. So I had to learn about boundaries at, at that age. So, Yes, yeah, kind of like, you know, one of my steps on dad, you can let her talk to you like that. And I said, was there anything else you wanted? That was my boundary. You know, we're, yeah. we're done doing this. Yeah, put your shoes by the door. Done, you yeah. know, boundary, better communication, done. Yeah. So no, if, because I still remember, I used to tell my second wife, her middle name ought to be overreact because that's what she did in every situation. And she never overreacted when I told her that because she knew that was true. She used mm-hmm. to say, you're my rock of Gibraltar. I'm your Bermuda Triangle. So every time that's why I took over the discipline and parenting every time, you know, she would need, you know, try to parent or discipline once, once the kids got in adolescence, she overreacted to everything. And when I said, you go to your room, you go read a book, go chill, I'll handle it. That was my being able to set a, dis- set a boundary, a loving one. With my partner yeah. with 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 my present wife lupita I, I live in mexico my wife's mexican so are my stepkids. so it's you know I, I had to learn spanish in my 50s and 60s i got i i cool. I, 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 I wanted to learn spanish so my wife haven't hurt she hadn't done this in a while she would be giving my stepdaughter who's now 15 math help and um and the first time my stepdaughter who has add you know mm-hmm. didn't get something right or didn't follow a process I could hear my wife's voice getting louder and louder and louder. Now, I sucked at math. I know somebody getting mad at me for sucking at math doesn't, wouldn't have made me better at it. (laughs) And so I've tried to talk with my wife. I don't think this is helping her, actually. Well, she isn't paying attention. I go, okay, I I get that. I said, tell you what, every time I can hear your voice in my office with my doors closed, I'm going to come out. I'm just going to give you a kiss. And I'm going to turn around and walk away. And you know what that's all it took for her to be more conscious and aware that her interaction with her daughter mm. was not helpful but that that was yeah. a boundary still and it was yeah. a boundary i set by going and giving her a kiss not saying a word i just told her ahead of time what the kiss would mean that you know yeah. it getting too loud i'd give her a kiss turn around walk back away go back to my office and she would always get calmer after that. so yeah. that's boundaries and that's yeah. how I used to tell parents, the reason why kids need two parents is so each parent can protect the child from the other parent. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. again, remember, we're all going (laughs) to fuck our kids up. So hopefully, (laughs) if you have a very early conscious mother, she can help lovingly protect the child from how the dad's going to fuck the kids up. And if you have a loving, conscious father, he can protect the kids from how mother is going to.
0: That's really brilliant. That that that's simple and brilliant and just lands so perfectly well. Um, Yeah, really. It's very wife probably
1: does some things better with the kids than you could ever do it. Much more elegantly, efficiently. And you probably do some things more elegantly and efficiently than she does.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. You know, I have a sneaking question, and I don't think it really takes us off base, but do you think that there's a higher prevalence of nice guy syndrome uh, along political lines? Do do you think like liberal dudes are more apt apt to be nice and conservative or not? You know, there's actually been studies
1: kind of answering that question. Um, I saw one study that said dem- people that identify as Democrat in the US. We're talking to you know yeah. US political yeah. parties. I, I actually yeah. live in Mexico, but you know, I yeah. unfortunately still follow politics in the US. Um, here basically they just have a benevolent dictator, even though they're elected. They, they, you know, they all the elections are bought here. But oh, that happens in the US too. Um, <laughs> the studies have shown that that men who identify as Democrat have less sex. I think that could probably be directly related to nice guy syndrome because nice guys, a pretty common report of nice guys, it's very little sex. Uh, uh-huh. you know, we're trying to be nice. We're trying to, you know, we're caretakers, we're fixers, we're indirect, we're avoidant. Uh, we put up with things that don't feel good to us. Now, is that like true of all Democrats? Maybe not necessarily, but to, to answer your question to the best of my ability, and being somebody that leans probably towards being more Democrat, more liberal, I, I mm-hmm. actually don't like how liberal and woke mm-hmm. so much of that gotten, not a fan. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems both parties have gone further and further extreme. But yeah, Republicans get laid more and probably because they're not so nice.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, interesting. I mean, yeah, and I, I'm i not a super political guy myself uh, in general, but you know, I guess I ask it just to put some generalized mainstream language to to, to to some of this too, right. So when I think about fathers or I think about you know your your concept of the integrated male, right which uh, you know, for for dads in in my world, it's just so absolutely crystal clear that some of what's in front of us is to learn how to open our heart and be connected and be present and, and like do that and at the same time, you know, be able to take substantial action and have real clarity, and just like you know, do the do the the providing the protecting right. So really, I'm just saying, you know, basic masculine feminine yeah. principles here. I, right? I, I love it, I love
1: that model. You know, um, yeah, I, I I you know, kind of like going back to the standing ovation in Germany. Right about the same time, I I I, I get I get Google alerts every time the word "no more Mr. Nice Guy" shows up in, mm-hmm. in any print. Usually, it's about Alice Cooper and the song "No More Mr. Nice Guy." Sometimes it's about MMA fighters. Sometimes it's about you know conservative you know writers. Trump needs to not be so nice next time he's president. You know stuff like that. Um, and occasionally it's my book. Mm-hmm. And um, and and there was an article in a Canadian uh, newspaper about a month ago about traditional masculinity, and it was written about uh, um, uh, I think a Republican senator that just maybe just published a book about masculinity. Yeah. Okay. And and the writer of this grouped. That book, along with um, Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, um, uh, Rollo uh The um, Rational Male, my book, Neil Strauss's The Game. Maybe, maybe there's one other, and just kind of listed all of them in order, put us all in the same category of talking about traditional masculinity, and then huh. went on to basically rip apart traditional masculinity. It was a very woke, you know, pro LGBTQ huh. letter after letter after letter, uh, feminist, you know, view, and basically went on to say, Dads are not important. And, and, and he quoted, um, Terry Reel, who's mm-hmm. a pretty well known marriage therapist, I've yeah. heard him speak. And he just identifies- turned me
0: down to be a guest. Thanks, Terry. But I'll get you yeah. one day.
1: <laughs> he, and he identifies as a feminist. And yeah. I heard him speak. And he said something in a talk that I agreed with 100%. He said, in couples therapy, you cannot begin with a woman because she'll bolt. Now, mm-hmm. this is a feminist saying that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been saying the same thing forever. Most women, you know, if you get them therapy, in couples therapy, you start with you know, what they're doing. There's, you know mm-hmm. They don't come back. Men, you can take a big stick upside the head whack them mm-hmm. and if the woman's sitting there watching another man take a big stick upside her man's head and get his attention saying this is what you're doing this fucking your marriage up and mm-hmm. then i found the women start actually owning their own stuff they start going yeah. so terry real a feminist he quotes terry real is saying of some study that boys are not negatively affected by not having fathers in their lives i'm mm-hmm. thinking what fucking study is that i could probably you know show as many studies about how people are negatively affected by having narcissistic borderline addictive angry controlling mothers right and that's not to say we don't need mothers right so it you know the article had a a definite bent but i actually i sent this out to a bunch of my friends this article i said i'm a good company now i'm up there with jordan peterson you know Mm rollo tomasi you know neil strauss and again, there's one other book. You know, I said I, I'd love to be selling as many books as all these guys are selling. And, was it the and Way
0: of the Superior Man? Do you
1: get lumped? No, I don't, in I don't think it was David Data. Yeah. I, yeah. I I love David Data's book. I, I you know yeah. I I remember reading it first time, close to 20 years ago. I I yeah. recently divorced in a new relationship. I remember reading it, telling the woman I was dating, "This is my new Bible. Uh, it, yeah. It's a great book." And they're very different from No More Mr. Nice Guy, but totally. great.
0: Totally, I um, I often recommend them as a. Not necessarily to be read in tandem, but those are two of the top but, ones.
1: Yeah. And, and usually in interviews, if somebody re- uses my name with anybody else's, it's usually David Data, Jordan Peterson. I go, okay, yeah. I'm, I, 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 they're, they're, I've, I, they're both brilliant. Yeah. So anyway, this article is about traditional masculinity. Now, he never defines in the article. What the fuck's traditional masculinity? I assume mm-hmm. he means patriarchal men can abuse their women and their children right. any way they want. I, I assume that yeah. absolutely what that means, but he never defines yeah. it. Never even says how any of the rest of the books are about traditional masculinity. My book's not about traditional masculinity. It's about just being open, honest, and transparent, and getting your needs met. Jordan yeah. Peterson's book's not even directed at men. It's directed at people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rollo Tomasi is kind of almost a non-traditional masculinity where, where yeah. the men are, you know, spinning plates and not, not providing and protecting <laughs> for women. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Neil Strauss's was just kind of how to talk funny and play games with women yeah. you're dating. How's that traditional masculine? But anyway, there's this thing that like traditional masculinity has this e- evil connotation. But the truth is the way I look at it, kind of going back to a David Data model. we all have a masculine and feminine energetic self. Everybody, men, women, everybody. The masculine part of us does. The feminine part of ourselves is done too. It's basic yin and yang. That's that's been that model existed yeah. for thousands of years. The masculine goes out and penetrates, and the feminine is penetrated. Now we all have both of those, and I found that most relationships work best not where you have a dominant masculine and a submissive feminine but where you have two people that are accessing both in conscious ways and have a very reciprocal relationship. My totally. wife, my wife is strong. She's at the gym right now. She goes to the gym and she out squats me any day of the week. She's just a <laughs> badass. She grew up eight out of 10 kids in poverty in Guadalajara, Mexico. She learned to fight at a young age. She's been through more abuses than any person she ever have to deal with. And she likes to fight. I grew up white bread Seattle, Washington, around a bunch of Boeing engineers, families playing soccer and baseball and getting a good, decent public education. Right. You know, and, and so she's more masculine than me. yeah. And she's right. always said, I know I've got bigger balls than you do, but I don't ever want to, I don't I, and, and nobody ever debates that. Everybody knows Lupita's got bigger balls than me. You know, I, I'm just pretty easy going. Yes, dear. But, but she goes, but I don't ever want to feel like my man's balls are small. And I said, I don't want to ever say jump. And he says, how high? So I love it when you tell me no. I love it when you lead. She says, I love it when you tell me what to do because it's coming from an open-hearted, loving, conscious place. Now she may resist and push back, but if I'm conscious and firm and I'm giving my gift to her, she appreciates that kind of open-hearted, masculine leadership, not control, not telling her how she can or what she can or can't do. She's free. She can live her life however she wants. And you know there are certain ways. I'm if you're going to hang out with me, you know here's some things that's yeah. the way I do it. And and so I don't I don't I, I get that some things about patriarchy were abusive and bad and repressive. And the original goal of patriarchy was to provide and protect. It mm-hmm. it, it it was to be the people that looked out for the survival and well-being of wife and children. There's good and bad in it, right? But it's just yeah. to say all traditional masculinity is evil. That's that's an extreme that, you know, I, I don't know. So-
0: I mean, it's a pendulum. Open hearted yeah. masculinity. Yeah,
1: we're in pendulum swing, go. no doubt. I think we're actually swinging back to a really good place.
0: Really good I, place. I, I, I optimistically hope that's, uh, yeah, I think it's possible. You know, so um I started my own men's masculine healing journey with David Data's work and really, really took- took that on uh and then when i launched my own work into the world at that time i was I actually intentionally tried to not use the terms masculine and feminine just in that they, moment they, they for trigger me, people yeah. they they just trip things up it's 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 like almost impossible to uh to tell a guy hey you have both masculine and feminine but for them to not somehow bias toward the masculine stuff right so well, well we anyway will. yeah of course of course um Oh, shit. What was my point in there? What terms do you here. use? Do you use yin-yang? Well, anima, I, I anima No, no, or, I, yeah. I, I use them now. I totally uh-huh. use them. I, okay. That was, that was a, a phase. But here's, so now focusing, you know, becoming a dad and focusing on fatherhood in this context, I just find, I'm curious what you think about this. I just find the the role of dad to be such a, an incredible uh, micro to the macro of like at this point, if I were to attempt to define masculinity or some sense of that, I would try to be descriptive about what the job takes as a dad, yeah. right? The the holding boundaries and the nurturing and the all of the parts. And to me, um, in this moment, if I were to like write a short book on it, I would I would try to I would build that idea out. Yeah, to, and, I, and I, I, think, I like that.
1: Well, yeah. let me let me kind of illustrate that because one of the things I started saying about two years ago to guys i worked with and it took me a while i've been thinking it for a couple of years forever said it out loud to anybody because again going up and you know i've attended i've gone to david data workshops the coach i've worked with for the last five years is probably david data's you know uh heir apparent uh john lineland um and so you know i i I like a lot of david data stuff i don't like it all i think he actually normalizes and glorifies bad female behavior um, and he's not with any of the women he was with when he wrote those books about just rub their belly and open them you know? um so apparently that doesn't necessarily change all bad female behavior um so i think that, i think there are flaws um but the the piece and i've been talking masculine and feminine you know for, for 10 12 years at least and, and, I, and it's evolved and I've gotten more nuanced in talking about how we all have masculine and feminine energies. But a piece that I started sharing about two years ago that every man kind of cocks their head, thinks about for a minute, and then goes, I think you're right. And that is based on a model, going back to Scott Peck, where he talks about love, discipline. He said love is basically the, the will to act in one's own or another's best interest. And he says for their own spiritual development. Or you say for their own well-being. <laughs> so basically, love by that definition is intention and action. Beautiful. Okay. And intention and action are those masculine terms or feminine terms? They're very masculine.
0: Pretty masculine, yeah.
1: Feminine is, as David Dayton, knows teach it, is the teacher, is the seeker and receiver of love. There, and, and the way I put it is the feminine in us, you and I, and women, feminine creatures, children especially. The feminine is an empty bucket with a hole in the bottom seeking to be filled from the outside. And it's running out as much as it comes in. That's feminine demand, feminine complaint. The feminine, one, when I'm bitchy and complaining, because I, I, my feminine doesn't, isn't feeling loved. And I love the concept I got from John Wineland of husbanding our own feminine. So I've been saying to men for a couple of years now that I believe the masculine, energetically, not men, the masculine yep. energetic part of any human is the source of love because the masculine is will and intention. The feminine is the seeker, the receiver of love. So I was listening to a book by actually one of my coaches, uh, uh, Christopher Wallace called um sipping, sipping fear, pissing confidence about addiction, hmm. but it's, it's written for men really good. And I'm, hmm. I'm paraphrasing him. He says, a man doesn't mature until he quits seeking love. So while we men are going out trying to get women to love us, get our wife to love us, get the feminine to love us, the feminine is saying, love me, you know, our feminine is seeking. We don't mature as men until we realize any love we get is coming internally from self is how we love and nurture our own self. And so kind of put kind of motherhood on, on his head. We usually think of motherhood as being loving and nurturing. I tell you what, I've been around a lot of women who's, poorly disappointed in what it means to be a mother. They think yeah. I'm gonna have so much love from this little baby. And then they find out, well, they need fed, they need change, they need clean, they need constant care, they need to get up in the middle of the night, then they need help with their homework, they need a bath, they need. that's all masculine, it's all doing. And so all of a sudden women are just really disillusioned that they're not getting all this love from this little infant or two or three or seven year old. And then they kind of get disillusioned and cold and bitter and angry towards their kids. And that's where I see dads stepping in and really bringing the nurturing. Yeah. That's where I think nurturing comes from is the masculine part. Now, mm-hmm. women can do that. They, they, of course, they can do it. Yeah. But i just, just, just kind of give you an example to tie this little piece up. As I said, I live in Mexico. My, my wife and stepkids don't speak English. My, my, my stepson actually, you know, uh, done a pretty good job at work. And, and, and he, he likes to speak English with me when he can But because I couldn't have deep conversation, my Spanish was when my wife and I met, we had our phones out all the time with apps, you know, translating words. We can have pretty decent conversations now, but I've never been fluent enough to have deep conversations with my stepson and stepdaughter. Like I said, now they're 18 and 15, but I've always just loved them. I hug my my stepdaughter all the time. I tell her how beautiful she is. She Yesterday went shopping and shows me the jeans and the dresses that she, I said, those are beautiful. You're going to look so beautiful in those. I love her. I tell my son how proud of him I am, you know, how, how, how amazing he is and how grateful I am for all, all he contributes, all, all the masculine. And I hug him a lot, you know, I, and and so because I can't have deep conversations, all I can really do is just shower my kids in love. And you know what? I think that's pretty much all they need, just a little bit of structure and a lot of love. And I think that's how I would roll, I'd say that masculine role or the father role uh, in relationship.
0: That's what we're going to name this episode, a little bit of structure and a lot of love. You did, that was so beautiful and perfect, perfect. Thank you for that. We are going to shift and I want you to tell us about uh, your integration nation. What do you got? What do oh, you got? What, what else talk are you excited? About about? About. Yeah,
1: please. <laughs> uh, a couple of things. Uh, I'll tell you about uh, uh, a book that just came out a couple months ago that I'm co-author on. One of my cool. my certified coaches, I gave him access to everything I'd ever created, and mm-hmm. and he put it all together in one book called The Big Stick. I use that term a lot working with men. Take up. Cool. And so it it has. Everything, all, you know, the, the key parts of No More Mr. Nice Guy, key parts of my dating work, key parts of other things I've, I've done in my courses, Ruminating Brain, uh, Nice Guys Don't Finish Last, they middle management. All the interviews I've done, mentioned how many thousand, all of, it's all in one book called The Big Stick by Tony Endelman and me as a co-author. I'm excited about that because it just, he did a beautiful job of just pulling together, you know, about that thick, of, of everything I've taught over the last 20 plus years. Um, and then Integration Nation is, you know, we are talking on the 12th of July. Uh, I've been working on it for a year. It launches 17 July. And uh, people can just go, you, you can post this integrationnation.net. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a worldwide nice. men's community. With right now, we're starting with nine calls a week, webinar, Zoom calls a week, uh, a weekly brotherhood call that I will lead. We'll have practices, meditation, lessons, breakout rooms uh and we're gonna dance at the end of every call man no i shit. found love dancing no yeah when i was in germany i started i said everybody get up we're gonna do a practice everybody got up we'd be you know it's the end of the second day everybody's sitting i had the the, the guy the sound guy cue up uh uh avici's uh wake me up yeah. and i said so that start starts a little bit slow but then it just it hits and it pumps I had 300 men up dancing. They're, they were jumping up on the stage dancing with me. Later on, somebody says, Robert, Germans don't dance. I go, yeah, they do. So <laughs> every call in Integration Nation is going to end with dance, just, you know, all the way from hip-hop to R&B to, you know, just classic. We're going we're gonna to end with five minutes of men dancing on camera when I was at my men's retreat two weeks ago with John Winland. The highlights was that, you know, when we do some practices and finally to get to, you know, like the, the disco music, men running around with no shirts, chest bumping, bouncing, jumping up, men love to dance. And we don't get to do that and around women. We go, I better keep my shoulders in and my <laughs> elbows down. And I better, you know, I better not look stupid. So. Every call of Integration Nation is going to end with some just good music and men dancing together. Now, I I know that probably will make some guys not sign up for, you know, guys. I've learned to call it SDS, shy dance syndrome. Oh, I can't (laughs) let anybody else see me dancing. I feel too insecure. But what better way to get out of our comfort zone and kind of claim that masculine self that i'm going to do something that scares me makes me uncomfortable than just getting up and moving like nobody cares and nobody's watching because nobody is watching and nobody does care so integration nation is the the tagline is good men doing better we're just going to help men level up don't have to change be better be good we're just going to do better every day and we're going to have support i call it tribe and masculine initiation that that men are missing and it's going to be very affordable. We're, you know, we're shooting for a worldwide audience. I already realized we'll probably be having some of what I call our, our, our tribe groups. We're going to have seven, of those starting out a week. We'll probably yep. soon have them in Polish, German, and Danish, maybe Hindi. Cause I've got cool. coaches from all over the world that are part of the program. They've been working together for a year. So I'm exhausted. I'm broke, but you know, it, we're, we're ready to put this thing out in the world. So um, yeah, go check out IntegrationNation.net is I, amazing I, I i i'm i'm we've been practicing calls all week long i'm already having fun just on practice calls so
0: uh it's gonna be a long i fun. can tell yeah go check it out everybody um man thank you for being a phenom thank you for being such a steady and, and powerful presence for men all over the place thank you for what you've done for me personally I uh yeah maybe maybe one of my new goals is to is to chase after your podcast number maybe, maybe in my career if I could see it, sit on many as many podcast recordings as you've had maybe that's yeah. a way to just just career. don't say no and and believe in I yeah. I don't have
1: any kind of goal that I need to be interviewed yeah. this much actually you know my 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 impossible goal dream out there is to end up either on uh, Sam Harris Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan you know, yeah. get get on one of those podcasts. I've, I've already been on um, Jordan Peterson's daughter's podcast and been on Patrick nice. Bet-David. Been on some pretty big podcasts that, that were a lot of fun. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm i not a real big goal setter. So it's not like I got to yeah. get on those. Really good stuff happens. You know, you contacted me without me having to, to do anything other than just be me and do what I do. So, totally. um, so be you and do what you do and good things come. Thank you,
0: Dr. Glover. Appreciate you. Thanks for being here. Thank
1: you. This has been fun. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please share this podcast. Please subscribe. Please like it. Leave a review. All of the things that make podcasts grow and be more prominent. We support you. We're here for you. Reach out to us with questions or comments or feedback or guest ideas. Thanks a lot and take care.